Hey, I'm Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. Hey y'all, welcome to another installment of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Women Talk. I am Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. Um, so before we get into the main topic, I just want to, um, I've, I've seen a lot of the videos from Atlanta Pride and <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> it did look fun. It did look fun. I saw the so, <laughs> Yeah. It looked fun. Um and but the streets were so it was just it was it was it was actually this I will say from what it appeared, because I definitely stayed out of it, it looked like this was one of the biggest prize a black prize Atlanta has had in a couple years. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of people in the streets. I know traffic was inundated. I know that there were concerns. Of course, you know, there was a lot of people jammed in the streets, a lot of drunk people, so that led to a lot of fights and all kinds of um, police involvement with with the community. And that was, I lament that at least. I feel bad about that. But, I mean, everybody came out in full force and it did look to be a blast. And and in in a real, in a, Regular world, I would have wanted to be in that. (laughs) Emphasis on regular world. (laughs) Because we are not at the place where we can (laughs) elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, in the middle of the street, packing the street from end to end. (laughs) Literally, 10th Street, you couldn't even drive up. So, like, that is crazy to me. I love the pride. I love that everybody wanted to get out in it. But I know that this is going to lead to some spikes, and that's very scary. And I mean, I in some of the videos, niggas ain't have no mask on, or they had like the designer masks that was like blinged out around stones. And I was wondering, I'm like, there's probably no type of filter in the liner of that mask. It's just straight. <laughs> if somebody breathes in your face, the microbes are just gonna penetrate through that cloth with the rhinestones glued on top of it. But um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I know that that was a super spreader event. Um, <laughs> I'm just waiting to hear um, who survived, who's okay, and who's not. Because unfortunately, you, that was just insane. Like, and people were going live. I had friends going live, like ten deep, shoulder to shoulder in the live, no mask. They kissing and hugging on each other. <laughs> Sharing bottles of liquor, driving Girl, the boat together. Driving the boat as they It's like it. so all of our lips are just gonna touch the um the top of the bottle. Okay. Um, because I want because it's almost like it's almost like in a weird way, I feel like if people think they get it as a group, that somehow that they'll bitch, survive. This is not chicken pox, bitch. This is right, not chicken like pox. Like one girl may get it and then that affect her bitch and you'll be deceased behind. <laughs> no, this is this is not the flu, bitch. If you catch it and it's bad girls. <laughs> and I'm sad. I'm I'm no for real, it was really disappointing. And I'm just like, so then it makes me know now I even more so have to avoid community events. 
<laughs> because I was looking forward to like getting back active again and maybe is, that, is this is there a virtual option? <laughs> you know, for a lot of these events, unfortunately, because Georgia never really had a mandate for mask wearing, nor have that we did we ever really have a mandate like other than like a couple of weeks where we had to stay in. Like every, these people are acting like it's nothing and it's business as usual. And to be real, I'm gonna have to avoid community events because I know that. This viruses in general take advantage of people that have multiple different conditions going on. And like this virus is very, very aggressive and it affects people that are, that have a lot of contraindications and um, com comorbidity factors. And our community is a community that still very much deals with, you know, being, a, having compromised immune system for whatever reason or another. So it just lets me know that I can't go to community events. It's a lot of, because a lot, a lot of, there are a lot of conferences even that are trying to like have things now because of the success of Pride. People are like, all right, girl, well, I guess we doing it. And it's like, no, mm. I won't. <laughs> we never were, sis. We never were supposed to be. <laughs> no, we not. And like, y'all are going to get it. And like, I don't <laughs> And I don't want to be a part of it. And then so then it's going to be even more shady when it's like two or three months from now when everybody's like, all right, girl, so Samaya, you know, we want you to come. No, girl, I won't be in attendance to no community. None. Yeah, because people fact, I'm not, I Now I'm scared to go to restaurants again. I'm quarantining back like it's back in the day. Yeah, I don't know what is going to happen when it gets cold because I know for the restaurant thing, I'm not sitting inside a restaurant. I don't care how many uh, blank tables are between me and the next I just, like, I'll lightly do the outside restaurant thing if there's not given, like, an intense breeze that day. But the whole, like, I just don't get how people are, like, in, like, I was seeing videos of people, like, inside a club, and it's steamy, and it's smoky, and there's no, like, circulation, and people are yelling. It's, like, I just, we I have don't... a club here where they put a pool in it just for yes. the festivities. Yes. Like, it's people getting in and out of a wet, moist, damp-ass pool environment in a club. So it's not even like it was a. It's not even like like a regular pool where you would have like maintenance and like whatever. This is literally like a jacuzzi tea. Like we're drinking in the water, peeing in the water, uh, and it's not like a YMCA or whatever where they have the resources to drain it and refill it. Like bitch, I I am gagged at the amount of recklessness that occurred this weekend. <laughs> Okay. Did you see that meme floating around where it said the Elena gaze in two to fourteen days, and it was a clip from Little Women Atlanta where Minnie was uh, when they went to the uh, on the boat and Minnie was seasick. And she was like, <laughs> "I'm feeling weak. I'm, my stomach is hurting. I need to sit down." <laughs> oh Jesus, that is gonna be what it's gonna be, girl. Like, I have a lot of friends that I know for a fact had no business. <laughs> like, so very much like, oh, girl, okay, bitch, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm still judging you girls, but now because y'all don't take it serious, I'm gonna just key at the situation. Like, I'm trying to give big sister, but y'all girls don't care. Y'all gonna do what y'all wanna do. As for me and mine, I'm just. I'm blessed that I live by myself and I don't, I don't have roommates. So that, cause I, that way I don't have to worry about people coming in and out of my place. And I know people have been asking me since I moved to DC, well, what have you been doing? Have you been going out? No, nope, I've been, I've been right at home. Girl, I have no plans going. Cause, cause to me, we, we are still not out of it. 
we are still not out of it. There's no cure. There's no um, medications to maintain or to, um, you know, to survive. So I, I'm coming. to have like a vaccine coming out, bitch. It's still in like that third stage of trials, and they like. Well, I'm gonna let y'all girls that um try the vaccine, and I'm gonna see how it works, and then. <laughs> girl, yeah, you catch me top of the year after that has gone through a few rotations. Right, girl. We're not, girl. I'm not getting in line, sis. I'm not. I can. I, I. You know, I support the vaccine trials and all of that, but no shit. I don't. I don't even think I took a flu shot last year. I've never taken a flu shot. But yeah, I, I used to get flu shots, but for some reason, I just, like, I don't know. I just feel like as long as you are committed to, like, thoroughly washing your hands and not touching your face, like, I don't know. I, well, what nobody can explain to me is, why am I getting a flu shot for a particular strain of the flu virus when there are so many other different strains? And no, there is no guarantee that this is going to work. So what are you injecting me with? And, man, and that's not me you know, like thumbing my nose up at modern medicine or not saying that I don't get inoculated for everything else like tetanus or, you know, the, you know, all the other things you're supposed to get done. I do get that on a regular basis as I'm supposed to, but like, particularly with the flu virus, it's always been too ambiguous for me. And I'm just, I hate needles as it is. So I'm definitely not going to take something that's not going to be direct and specific, bitch. Like when you go get a measles or a, or you know the MMR the measles mumps rubella or the other shots even the even the goddamn um HPV shot you know that it's gonna do it with this one it, with the flu virus and I'm um, hopefully not it's not gonna be the case with this um, COVID virus um, vaccine but I, I just I'm not convinced that things that don't that that they can't guarantee that it's gonna help and so it's just like girl why like I'm not no I'm good. So speaking of the um, medical industry, our conversation today is going to um, revolve around like our experiences and experiences generally of trans people when you have to navigate the the healthcare industry, particularly when you have to go to um, the hospital for like an emergency room um, visit Mm -hmm. and just like like what that experience is kind of like unpacking the fear around doctors and around healthcare professionals and then just a conversation of like where we are at um in, in reference to um a lot, some of the laws that the Trump administration um has been promulgating um in reference to doctors refusing to treat trans people and just kind of yeah just to kind of have like a, a well-rounded conversation um, on this topic, um, because it's, some, it's something that impacts trans people every day on, on the daily. So I want to start here. Um, I want to start with the Tyra Hunter story. Um, and it's something that when I was early in my transition, like I heard, I heard of it like through word of mouth of older um, trans women, particularly here in the Baltimore and DMV area. So Tyra Hunter um, was a trans woman. Um, she was from DC and she passed in August of 1995. And what happened was she was involved in a, a, a car accident. Um, and after the car accident, uh, the paramedics um, came and 
um, they saw her, they saw a black woman um, who was injured. So they did their, they were doing their thing and trying to administer aid. But what happened was once they cut her pants off and saw her genitalia, they found out that she was trans. And then after that, there was a um, whole bunch of slurs and I'm not helping that. Um, and basically they just stopped um, serving her because she was a, a trans woman. Yeah, she was a trans woman. Mm-hmm. I remember that story and how negatively it like impacted community. And for years, I have always that is my biggest fear. You know, um, I don't drive. Um, I, well, I I can drive and I do have a license, but I don't like driving and I'm a frick because and I don't like um, doing it because of that story. That story really was very transformative for me in my young transitioning years, and it really was just like terrifying the idea that I could get in a wreck. And the EMTs would expose me, and then the entire services would stop, bitch. And that's like crazy to me. Yeah. So like when so yeah so what yeah once they saw her genitalia they stopped um, they stopped serving her and then she died as a result of um, the a delay in um, service healthcare service and um one of the arguments because and eventually there was a um, civil suit and tyra's family um won against um the district of columbia and all the other people that they sued but you know one of their arguments was that had they continued to provide service to her once they you know once they got on the scene that it was a high chance that she would live but because they um they denied um her service um it exacerbated her injuries and um, it it made her die. So that's a story. I know when I first transitioned, I, when I came into the community that we, um, it was told to you and it um, creates the, and for me too, it also created a fear of um, going to the doctor, having to go to the ER, um, and I know when I first transitioned, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the things that I did for my transition medically um, was black market, was under the table. One, because the system really wasn't set up to, um, it was a little bit, but it's not like how it is today where you could just go into a place and say, hey, I'm trans. And, you know, they, for lack of a better term, they rolled out the red carpet for you. Um, in certain regions of the country now, in some places of the country, they you know they don't have these facilities. Exactly. But now you could just walk in and be trans, and you know it's a list of services and stuff that they can provide to you. But ten years ago, like everything was like black market, and I know for me it was like you avoided the healthcare system at all costs because. It was just like walking into the 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 lion's den. You just didn't know what what it was going to happen, especially when that nurse act, when the the intake nurse asks you that age old question, "When's the last time you've had your cycle?" And, yes, <laughs> and bitch, that that's, is like it gives a Snickers it need a Snickers moment, like huh. Like <laughs> <laughs> that is the question that inevitably, no matter post-op, pre-op, non-bit for trans women, for trans women, for trans women, particularly trans women, that is a big, big thing. I know for trans men, that same for trans men, a lot of times that question isn't even asked, and that's even that can be problematic too because you know a lot of times you know then they have to go through that extra step of saying. 
and I have a uterus, you know, and, 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 and watching how that reacts to people. And I, and it's really sad because you would think that you would think that there would be a lot more efforts made by medical professionals, or at least the medical, um, the medical schools. Now, shout out to some of the ones here. I personally given them trainings and given, you know, like, um, some of the new, um, doc, newly minted doctors, some training on the subject, but like a lot of people are, they're coming with that same, like the, the same step, the same shade that you, we see people talking about on the internet. A lot, some of those people are medical providers and they're bringing that like bias, that homophobia, that transphobia to their job with them. And when they, especially when you encounter a trans person, a lot of times on its face, you may not know that, you, that you're dealing with someone that you have moral qualms about until that moment where that question is asked. And I have watched the faces. I have watched the way people treat trans people that I've been going to the hospital to support and myself change with just that one question, sis. Yeah, girl, that that the that question that um question usually separates the you know the 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 women from the girls. Because um, now we could lie, you know what I'm saying? But then the whole point is is we're supposed to be wanted to be then we're encouraged to be vulnerable to our medical providers. But then it it could it, like like you say it could easily become an unsafe environment as in Tyra Hunter where now. I'm not going to treat you right because I know I don't like you and I may want for you to die. Right, right. <laughs> On a personal note. That is I remember the, um, the first time I really had to go to the hospital um, at, um, after I physically transitioned. I, something was wrong with my foot and I went to like the little medical center um, and it was like late, it was late at night. And I went in, and then I remember, you know, you going through the, and I can't remember if my name, my name had to be changed. Yeah, my name had to be changed at this point, because, um, yeah, because I was, I wasn't clocked until that question was asked. So I remember I did the intake, and this was like the early 2010s. I did the intake, and I was talking with the lady, and then we got to the question, like, when's the last time you had a cycle? And then when I gave, oh, like, I don't have them. And then, like, <laughs> girl, it's just, like, how they, like, looking at their face, like, how they go through the motions try to try to rationalize like, why you don't have a cycle. And, like, it, it seems like they get aggressive when you say no. Like, they're trying to figure out why. It's just, like, well, why don't you have a cycle? But anyway. And then once I told the lady I was trans, like, bitch, instantly, um, it, it kind of gave, like, this, like, ooh, no. And, like, it was, like, she sent me back to the waiting room, bitch, and, like, a half an hour turned into an hour, <laughs> which turned into two hours, which turned into three hours. Like, it took so long that I just ended up leaving because I was, like, well, it's only my foot, and it don't hurt that bad. And I just, like, at that point, I didn't feel like fighting. Because it, like because you don't want to think it's transphobia, but it's just like, girl, why is it taking four hours and I'm literally the only person in the waiting room? That part. And you know what, sis? That is a common experience I've had where I've had to go. So what's really, pro well, what, for those of you who don't know, for a lot of indigent, for a lot of populations, particularly indigent populations, particularly populations of people who may not necessarily be have access to um to health insurance or maybe underemployed, 
the emergency room is the first encounter many of us have when we're having a problem. Because we don't have medical care, regular physicals, regular physical um, interactions with the doctor are limited because we can't afford oftentimes to pay cash up front to go see someone. So the emergency room is oftentimes the first encounter that someone is having with a medical illness. And usually it's because it is an emergency. It's because you got into the place where whatever it is you've been dealing with has begun to bother you in such a way or the illness or the sickness has gotten to the point where you have no choice but to go to this to this medical emergency room. So it is even more heightened because a lot of times these are conditions that have already been manifesting inside of us that we haven't been able to go see about. So now I've taken the courage to go to the emergency room to try to address it. And then like what Brianna's mentioning, well, here we are talking about, okay, you're going through this questionnaire. And then when I say, I am, don't have a cycle. I have also experienced where I was in the waiting room and I, it, it, it almost is like the goal is for you to get tired and leave. They would rather see you leave than actually engage with you. And that is a very common experience. And I've been to the hospital in support of other sisters. At one point, I was privileged to have the position of being a, a, a case manager for some clients that would, would be hospitalized for various reasons. And I would have to go and check on them. And a common complaint was just how horrible they were being treated, not just by the staff, because then there's, a, there's also the way in which they can still provide you services, but are doing it in a way that is dehumanizing to you. And they're actively seeking to take advantage of the power that they have from you being vulnerable, hospitalized, or needing care to then mistreat you. And you have to decide, like what you were saying, do I fight in this moment and make a scene with someone that has my life in their hands? Or do I allow myself to be dehumanized for what is a vital necessary service that I have to get from this emergency room because I don't have a doctor? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just, that is just so scary to me, sis. And like, it's so many different levels to it. And um, like, so in that experience though, girl, um, what, did, did you go, did you eventually go see somebody about the foot girl or did it? No, cause the pain I had, and I think it was like from like an ingrown toenail, it eventually went away. Okay. So it wasn't like I was like, you know, in excruciating pain where I needed to see somebody. But um, by the time I had to go to the ER again, um, when I had to get my gallbladder removed, like it took like it took me so long to get to the point where I finally wanted to go to the ER. And then wow. for my gallbladder, I had to go two times because the first the first time I went, um, and I was really nervous about the first time I went because I just knew, one you know the question is going to be asked, and two like you're basically like on the mercy of whoever is the intake nurse or whoever is the staff that night, hoping that they don't, you know, are not transphobic or whatever. And that, you know, they'll do their fucking job. But, mm-hmm. um, and I went to like the hospital by my house, Harbor hospital. Um, but it got, I waited too long to go to the hospital. The first time I went for my gallbladder, um, so I, I believe that had I not had that fear, I could have had my gallbladder issue addressed sooner. Um, but that, but, um, that experience wasn't that bad. Um, the staff was really respectful. Like it's, you know, 
you know, I'm very fortunate to live in a pretty progressive state, Maryland. And that um, gallbladder thing, like, happened years later after that first initial incident. And then when I had to go to the hospital again here, when I lived in Chicago for um, my cancer treatment and all of that, um, the hospital staff was very respectful. Um, but I purposely made sure that I went to a hospital that was not affiliate, affiliated with, like, a religious institution i.e. like a catholic hospital or like a christian hospital because you know they carry they like <laughs> and not only do they carry the trans people bitch they carry to like white cis women so if if girl if they not giving white cis women um treatments to you know help them prevent pregnancies or whatever bitch i know they're not going to look out for my trans ass. and i remember when i um was first got sick in Chicago, I was like, y'all, please give me a list of hospitals. Please do not include, like, religiously affiliated hospitals, girl, because, like, I just, I don't have time to fight. I don't, like, bitch, I'm already sick. Like, I'm already sick. I'm already not feeling good. I don't have time to battle this and then have to battle, like, an overly religious um, hospital staff that's going to try it. So, um, you know, knock on, knock on wood, I was able to get treatment at affirming institutions that um, respected my womanhood, that gave me services. And then, you know, the the the, be- the beauty of going to the hospital now and the places that I am at, and Chicago for the most part, and Illinois for the most part, is pretty progressive, quote unquote. Um, you know, I was able to access care. And then when, when the question came up of, had you, um, are you on your cycle? And then I said, no. And I gave the explanation why. It was like, oh, okay. Oh, this is trans. We have an LGBT department. So, you know, they had the, the cultural competency. So it was no tea. But I also know that in 2020, bitch, every place in the country um, or every hospital in the country does not give what, Um, my latter experiences have been or every, you know, or every, you know, every even, or even every hospital in the city, because I know if I would have went to like a Catholic hospital, bitch, and I would have told my see, I don't know if I would have gotten the same level of treatment with the same level of cultural competency. So like, even, like, even in a state of emergency, bitch, I'm still having to do additional research to um, make sure that the place is affirming or just avoiding states altogether that um, like, bitch, I would never move. And there's no shade to people from Mississippi, bitch. One, I would never move to Mississippi only because I would be scared. In addition to the laws, like, bitch, if I ever got sick and needed to go to the hospital, girl, what would that experience look like? Like, what would that, like, what would that experience um, look like, you know, in a state like Mississippi that is what it is, and that had, in a state that has no Atlantism? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, what, like, what was, um, what was that, what would that look like? And I feel like our relationship with the hospital, it contributes to, like, the health um, disparities that um, we experience as trans people overall. For so. sure. For sure. Um, I know speaking for Georgia, I know that in general, even in the hospitals that are affirming, there still needs to be some work done. Um, I can just, I'm gonna, from, from my own experience, I, I have been in hospitals where um, what I try to do, my strategy is I, are, I, I put it on the paperwork and I write it big. 
um, I do that so that we don't, so that before you even get, when I, when that, before we even get to that, y'all have already done all the shade in the kiki. I have sat in the waiting rooms of emergency rooms where um, when it was time for me to give my ID and fill out the paperwork or whatever, that my ID was passed around to six and seven different people. That people came out in the waiting room with the keys. There were cleaning staff that had no business knowing my information coming out to point and stare at me through the sliding glass, through the double doors. Um, I have experienced a lot of hellacious shit. And like you, um, Brianna, um, I, I have asthma. So there are times where in spite of my best efforts at health, in spite of my best efforts and me, you know, doing everything I can to, to avoid the hospital, I can't help it when I can't breathe. And um, before I had the medical care that, that I have now where I was able to afford a nebulizer, because see, a lot of the machines too for some of the things that we, we, that we deal with, those things require a certain amount of income to be able to even think about buying a thousand dollar machine. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and it, even with insurance, it still ended up costing a little bit of money. And so I can only imagine, but before that, I, when I had an asthma attack, if my inhaler couldn't help me, I had to go to the emergency room. And I remember instances being in the emergency room and you know, me not being at a place where I'm stabilized. So this, when you, when you, one of the things that if you can't breathe, they automatically wheel you to the back. Like you don't have to go through the, like the goal is to stabilize you first before, you know, they do the paperwork. So I'm hooked up to this machine and I'm getting a breathing treatment and this person comes in and we begin to have this conversation. And there are times where like, before we've even had the conversation, they're taking off their, they're undressing me as I come in through the door. So the shade is, girl, I come in and because I can't breathe, they're taking the clothes off me. They're undoing my bra. They're getting me out of my clothes because I can't do it myself while they're trying to stabilize me. Cause it'll get so bad that my, my airways will almost completely close and I'll, I'll go into shock. So I've been in the situation where I've, I, while on a breathing treatment, observed as they began to undress me, their faces begin to change. I've observed the, that, that the same, that, that all of a sudden now there's a change and the person, the people that, the, some of the people that were dealing with me before that were just so friendly with me now are no longer coming back into the room. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been in the situation where when they first admitted me, and this is where they, they didn't necessarily, when they first admitted me, and this is after I've had, you know, my paperwork done or whatever, and they've admitted me and I had the female um, wristband on my arm and someone rudely came and cut it off me and said, sorry, sir, you can't have an F if you're, if you, if, if, if you, if you haven't had the surgery. And I been and I couldn't even really argue with her because bitch, I'm trying to breathe and I'm trying well, I'm hooked up to literally an oxygen machine. And I can't really give you the fever I want to give you, but I had to sit in that horror of that moment of knowing like this bitch just read me and I can't get her. And for a bitch like me that loves to get back, bitch, it bothered me that I couldn't get her like I needed to. And so yeah, that happened that happened to one of my sisters too, but she but she um she um, had to fight back, but it was the fact that, bitch, why do I got to fight back, bitch, and I'm a patient? 
that part. Why do I have to battle? Why do I have to correct you? When you know fucking well, good and well, that I came in here and my even in my ID, it is clear that I'm female. It is clear that when you saw me, you saw a woman. So why is it now that you now figured out because of your because of the confidentiality and the trust that I'm supposed to have with you, I reveal something to you that I don't even reveal to only my closest people. And now because you know that information, you totally erase my identity. And to the point where when I remember um, there was a time where I was hospitalized for a car accident. And I remember um, being in the hospital and like literally having to, having to, bring, having to have a make a scene and actually act the fucking fool and tell the lady, and you better put it on my fucking chart. I want it on my outside door so that nobody else comes in here. I don't give a fuck. Nobody is going to come in here and misgender me another time. But the idea that I had to do that when legally, when legally, it should not matter at the time, at least, it shouldn't have mattered. You should still be treating me with, with respect. You should be trying to make sure that I'm okay, not trying to take a point, to make a point to try to make me feel it while I'm in the hospital. And, and it's unfortunate, but that transphobia really does exist in the hospital. And it's even more complicated. Um, so now I'm gonna switch turn, switch, um, switch lanes here. Brianna and I, with this podcast, we want to make sure that we're also very clear about the ways in which the system is set up to make it uncomfortable for us. And um, under the Obama era um, guidelines, thank, you know, thank God for him and his ability to be able to be a human being and to see us as people, there were, protect there were protections in place at least for them to acknowledge discrimination as also including gender identity when you're talking about healthcare professionals. And so in my research for this um, episode, um, I pulled up an article that I found um, from NPR um, and under the Trump administration, you know, Trump has always wanted to undo everything that Obama set in place. You know, it is almost like a feather in his cap and to his constituents when they can, when they set us back hundreds of years. So um, in, back in June, the Trump administration finalized a rule that will remove non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people when it comes to health care and health insurance. Um, the statement went on to say from the HHS, HHS respects the dignity of every human being. And as we have shown in our response to the pandemic, we vigorously protect and enforce civil rights of all to the fullest extent prevented by our laws. But they also felt like many of the rules and regulations from the Trump administration were quote unquote confusing. And so what they have done is, is um, one of the many rules and regulations put forward was that um, sexual discrimination only applies when someone faces discrimination for being male or female, and it does not protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or sexual identity. That is huge. That is huge. Because essentially what they did was made a point of saying, we are only looking at discrimination as it applies to whether or not you're a biological male or a biological female. You cannot be discriminated against for on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Now let's like let's let's think back to Tyra. 
she didn't have that protection in place. And because those people decided with hate in their hearts to, to deny her vital life-saving services, she ended up dying. Think about now that there's a codified rule that actually goes out of its way to say that it does not protect those kinds of people. So now if, if there are people out there that are in medicine that aren't gonna follow the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm, and they want to make a point or they want to assert their religious right to not service us, it is now okay for them to do so. Now, we know that there are a lot of hospitals and, and medical institutions that have their own internal policies that are still protecting us. And that's why what my sister Brianna said is very important. It's important where you go. But in emergency situations, you don't often have the choice on what hospital I'm gonna go to for the service. The, a lot of times the ambulance is taking you to wherever the nearest hospital is that can save your life. And according to the new Health and Human Services guidelines issued for medical professionals from the Office of Civil Rights, the Office for Civil Rights, you can discriminate now against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and that is scary. Rihanna, what are your thoughts? Um. It's, it's a lot. It's intense. So basically, the the though those recommendations, though they're not um, like laws that are set in stone, they hold a lot of weight. And we know that in these um, times that we're in now, a lot of bigoted people um, are motivated by um, that the, this particular administration and the stuff that. The administration says is permissible to do and now it's, it's it's going to be an issue no matter what hospital you go to whether it's a whether it's like a religious-based hospital or it's a religious person that happens to work in like a public hospital or like a university hospital and like at the drop of a dime if somebody doesn't want to give you services like health services they can always fall back on well this is against my religion and it's just a real, it's, it's like you're sanctioning people to die, in my, exactly. in my opinion. It's like, oh, okay, it's because I don't agree with your quote unquote lifestyle, um, I, you, you, you should just die. I'm just not going to help you. And I'm just, like, it, it's, it's just like, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't, it doesn't have to um, be this way. But again, I want to add as, yeah, we as a, I, I feel like we as a trans community, we kind of have to keep having this conversation and we have to keep having this fight. Because one thing I always talk about is that, you know, all of us aren't dying and all of us are aging. And at some point, we're going to have to interface with the, um, the healthcare system more and more. And we're going to have to interface in, in the, in, the health, the health slash medical system is very, it's built on a gender binary. And these are why we have to have more conversations about like destroying, like um, theoretically destroying the gender binary with the focus of creating more space for trans and gender non-conforming identities. Because at some point, like at least for the trans woman, we want to have to create some type of social space where 
we can go get the medical services that we need that address the wholeness of who we are as trans people, i.e. prostate exams. I know nobody likes to talk about it. I know we like to, you know, we're women and, you know, we don't like to talk about it, but if we don't, if we don't sh- shake up the healthcare system now, what's going to happen to us once we get older? Exactly. Um, one of an additional point of clarity, and this is this really drives home just the level of disregard for human life. In the in his statement, um, the um, person over the civil rights, the Human Resources Office for Civil Rights, his name is Roger Severino. And in his statement, he said, and I quote, we're going back to the plain meaning of those terms, which is based on biological sex, um, end quote. He also said the rule could save hospitals and insurers $2.9 billion over five years since they will have to be relieved of the requirement to print notices of non-discrimination in several languages and including them in their significant mailing. So a major justification is, it will save money, so because yeah, you that doesn't say, that does that figure does not sound right to me. Like you're you're pay, you're paying that much for for print and um. But like, but like, what's even sicker, sis, is that that's the justification. Is like we we're gonna save you money, so you don't have to print non discrimination flyers to so that people know they can't discriminate against these people, and that's gonna be the cost savings. Forget the lives that will now be affected. Now you don't have to worry about them people no more. You don't have to print nothing about them. The savings for you is, is you can save money because printing the flyers is too overwhelming for the system. Like that is shitty. And then when lives are on the other side of that. So we're now being compared with the cost savings for print materials. Right. When it, 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 in all actuality, you're probably spending way more money being bigoted and having to defend lawsuits after you let somebody die on your watch when the motivation was because you didn't want to serve them because they were LGBTQ. Like I'm pretty, I'm willing to bet my money that that costs more than you having to alter some print materials to show that you are inclusive. That I, I'm just not, I'm just not buying that argument. But again, this is why we gotta. That this is why we have to vote, and this is why we have to get. Um, try, and even after we get Trump out of here. We're, we constantly have to push back against this um, gender binary health system that excludes um, trans people from getting like the basic care. Or, or when, we te- when we are telling medical providers, yes, I'm trans, yes, my body is queer in this way or non-congruent, that they have already, they have the resources, which a lot of them do have, to get the education. So it can just be not a big deal and they could just provide the services to people so trans folks can stop dying um, at, at their hands or dying because they're scared to go get care at these places. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and I want to say that I do believe that there is at least hope on the horizon regarding this new Trump administration guideline because there is already lawsuits that are in place um, that are that are questioning that because the the Supreme Court has defined it differently regarding employment. So regarding employment now, you cannot discriminate against us 
because the, the Supreme Court considers gender identity a part of sex discrimination for, as for the purposes of employment. So the hope on the horizon is, is that these lawsuits are going to a Supreme Court that's not going to contradict itself. And so then it is likely that these lower court rulings and some of the guidelines are going to be overturned because of the Supreme Court's decision, uh, really, which was really shocking earlier this year, to be honest, uh, because he was able to, um, to install um, so many Supreme Court and, and federal judges in his tenure, in this quick little four-year tender, uh, tenure for Trump, I thought that this, that, that um, particularly for employment, I thought it would be the opposite decision. So it was very shocking that the Supreme Court does consider discrimination against trans individuals, sex discrimination, if, you, if you're making it based on just our status as trans identity identified individuals. So I do think that this is something that can be overturned eventually, but the idea that we have to wait, the idea that there's an opportunity now for someone to at least even one girl to die or be denied services in the meantime before things can really change. It's just really, really frightening. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, we get, y'all, we got to vote. <laughs> we got to vote. We got to get Trump up out of here because um, as long as he's in office, it's just going to be a continued attack on us for no particular reason. For no, for no particular reason at all. But um, yeah, go, going to the hospital is it's just scary. It's just um, it's just scary. And then like uh, sometimes, like you said, it's not even the medical doctors or the nurses. Sometimes it's the um, the staff that works at the hospital that also makes it a, um, an intense process from like the the intake person to the security guards that try it or even the janitorial staff the people cleaning your room yeah the janitor yeah i remember i had a um incident when i was going through chemo and i was bald-headed and i have no hair and one of the um cleaning staff was like she wasn't talking to me but she was on the radio talking about my room and about me and she was giving very much he he and i'm like mama first of all it's not he and to like, because you're black, I don't want to get you in trouble. But if you don't correct this right now, I will. I will. Yes, ma'am. You will. I will. Because, bitch, you are in a vulnerable place. And it is important, particularly when you're, when you're going through chemotherapy, that you have support around you because that is such a draining process. So then the idea that even just someone like that, that could come in the room that may not be a medical professional, but they could really fuck the vibe up in a time where you need all the hope you can to kind of like strengthen your will to live through this draining experience, not just even from the cancer, but the, the treatment, the chemo, you know? So that just shows that these hospitals really, really need one. I think they really, really need an um, um well, cultural competency training that is mandatory and compulsory for all employees and is a part of the employment process. I think it needs to be something that is a certification that um, that is through a governing body that is given by trans people. I also feel like that's important. It's and not important the trans patients, bitch. <laughs> Let us feel, bitch. You should not have to be the educators. There should be trans people that are brought in to give culturally specific based sensitivity training on this community from a trans person. And there are qualified people to do that. 
And I also think like on a larger level, the medical institutions, the people, the doctors that they hire, the schools that they go to, it should be mandatory that you care about the lives of all of your people, or at least be educated in the lives of all of your people. Because another issue, sis, that I think is relevant to bring up is the amount of like, so then even beyond it being a shady thing, it's not necessarily required that doctors know how to treat trans folks as far as their HRT or their services. So then a lot of times I've experienced doctors that did not even know how to treat me. They're asking me what I'm taking so that they can look it up and figure it out. And they, and I've had doctors where they're giving me my hormones and my medications, but no one is touching me. I literally have gone to a doctor for years where no one has ever physically touched me on purpose other than the people that are, you know, like taking my, my, my blood pressure, the, the, the LPNs that are taking my blood pressure and drawing my blood. But I have literally had doctors that refuse to give mammograms, that refuse to do genital exams, that have refused, that have given, that charge my insurance and bill them for physical examinations that they're not giving me. And because they're giving me hormones and there are not a lot of doctors in the South that are giving hormones, I have to tolerate this because I'm getting what I need as far as my medical transition as a, as a trans person. Because, because a lot here in the South is a lot of these smaller medical providers, particularly if you live in a small community, they're not even servicing you. So a large part of what I did when I did work in community, there would be people that would drive. I had a girl that would drive six hours from the border of Georgia to Atlanta just so she could get her hormones from a doctor up here that was willing to see her because we could not find a medical provider that was comfortable prescribing HRT because they used the, they used the excuse that, oh, well, we're not really comfortable with that as far as medically. So then this girl had to come all the way to Atlanta to get medical services. And that was very common. I've had girls drive from Alabama. I've had, because in the South, there's a limited amount of doctors that are even, that even want to be knowledgeable on trans bodies and how to treat us. And so that's something that also needs to be brought in. Like even more so than just the discrimination and the bad feelings we face, there's still in 2020, uh, a lack, a dearth of medical providers that are equipped and knowledgeable and have gone and done the research and are staying current on the new trends and are learning how to manage trans bodies. And it's really almost like you almost have to go to an HIV clinic or a community-based LGBT center just to get these services because regular rank and file um, general practitioners or pediatricians and even doctors are just not wanting to deal with that. And that is really sad. Right. Or then when your um, your doctor or your um, community health organization send, refers you out, it's like you bet you starting at square one with okay. having to explain things or even um, even um, the thing you just said about your doctor refusing to touch your body. Yeah. Like I've heard I've heard a lot of trans people um discuss like their doctor referring to um trans work. Or like I've had like I had an experience with bitch where I was going to uh, um like a keloid doctor to um treat my keloids and he was just asking me about hormones and stuff and then when I told him like I didn't like or like he was just asking me about difference and I'm like 
why are we having a conversation about surgeries that I may or may not have had when you're when you're here to treat my ear? I had a dentist ask me. I had a dentist. You can stop right there, Dennis. You can stop. (laughs) Girl was going in about when I had my boobs done and was important for her to know because I said, because you put on there, because it asked, had you had, have you had any major surgery in the last Right. And I said, no. That bitch was like, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me, bitch. And I was like, wait, I don't understand. Yeah, girl, how was this relevant to you treating a totally different... It was a fucking... I went to a fucking dermatologist. And then when he was like, well, why don't you... Have, like, bitch, what does that have to do with you treating my skin? <laughs> like girl, like the like just the ignorance and the lack the not only the lack of education but this adherence to the gender binary. Well, if you're trans, if you're trans, if you're really a trans woman, why haven't you done this or why didn't you do this? You want to be a and I'm like, oh no, this will be my last time coming here because this conversation is totally inappropriate. Um. <laughs> I think it's important as trans people when you go to the hospital that you have um, people with you that can um, advocate for you and that people that when shit pops off, they're going to say something or they're going to like fight for you and really um, make sure that you're being treated good. Because like sometimes if you go by yourself, a lot of times you'll be in too much pain that even like the strongest, most um person the, the most strongest person that's usually like an advocate for justice and that's not here for the shit bitch when you're in pain bitch when you're at your lowest right you're not going to have that same level to stand up for yourself especially when people are um trying you because of your teeth so it's really important to have like um people around you now i don't know how much you can do that now in covid times because they're not letting visitors into the hospital and stuff but you still need to have somebody around you that's going to ask questions um especially when you're not able when you don't have the strength or the wherewithal to do that for yourself girl you know we think alike because my next question was going to be what do we what are some of the strategies that we as trans community members do to to protect ourselves and i was going to say one of them is particularly making sure you have an advocate or somebody with you or somebody with you especially if you're if you're in the situation where you're in the hospital we need to also in community make sure we check on each other very often um, it, why we're, when we're hospitalized, like, because I know a lot of girls, you know, we, because we don't like the hospital, we, we avoid going, but check on your friends when they're in the hospital and you, cause, to make sure that they're okay. I think that's important. Yeah, I'm always the girl that's like, girl, what do you need? Do we need makeup, lashes, shade materials, bitch? bitch what do you need? Those are important. What do you need, bitch? And I've done that many a time, girl, because they will let you sit up there and be butt. Oh, honey, they will not offer you any type of beautifications. This thing, they will, you will be in there. And and and, and that is what's important, too. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. For As trans folks, we know what we need. And we know the regimens that we have to maintain in order for us to be our best selves. And a lot of the misgendering and stuff happens in the hospital, bitch, on day five or six. When it, when now I'm not in a situation where I've been able to do my maintenances, particularly right. for the 
may still be hairier or, you know, or even let's say you, they took your unit off and you're now not in a place where you can put on your smell goods how you want. Like it can really, really get rough very, very quickly in those environments. And those people don't give a fuck. No, They're no. just trying to make sure you're okay physically, physiologically, physiologically, but psychologically, a lot of times they don't care about that. And so, um, we need to, as a community, be better on being the girls to check on your sis, check on sis, like make sure, or brother, make sure that they're okay when they're in the hospital, particularly too for the trans men. A lot of times men won't because of that, because of the society we live in where, you know, we judge men based on them not being emotional. Check on your brothers in particular, because a lot of my brothers are going through things that they are not wanting to talk about because it is triggering for them as men to talk to first of all address these needs that may be related to their original birth sex but then also it's triggering because a lot of times they you know they have worked a lot to be seen as you know respected and whatever and then a lot of times we still live in a society where men are not given permission to cry men are not given permission to be vulnerable so i want to take this moment also to for our brothers that are listening to this podcast, we see you also. And we know that a lot of times in a lot of ways, particularly because even the process of getting gender reassignment is so stressful on trans men's bodies. We know that a lot of shit is going down and a lot of shit is not okay that you are, y'all are being subjected to and it doesn't often get talked about. So I do want to advocate for our brothers right now that are listening. Like we hear you too and we stand with you and we're going to do better about making sure we check in on y'all when y'all are going through your hospitalizations and your different issues as well. Right. Yeah, but yeah, let, let somebody know because I'm the, I'm the one that I will bring whatever products you need or if you have a family that doesn't see it and they're not trying to bring I will bring it. I, I have busted through many hospitals. This thing, that is my, that's my, girl, listen, no shade. You, you want to know when I feel the most connected to God, it's when I know for a fact I am going to taking care of the of the sick or the needy because that means something to me. And I, for me, it is a ministry and I am more than grateful every time I've ever had to go provide a service. Even if you want candy, bitch, if they not give you, if you want some chips, bitch, I'm a girl that will go out of her way to make sure you have everything you need to feel comfortable. Even if it's you want a flusher, a soft plushier blanket, something that's not a hospital blanket, bitch, I'm the girl that'll go buy one. Because for me, I know that the hospital is uh, the medical community is not the safest place for the girls. Again, this no. is someone that even now is saying, "I thank God the doctor that I used to have. Um, thank God the doctor that I used to have has now um, gotten to a practice where I could go where I could go to see her because she was um, she went she was um, she had gotten hired at a." Um, an HIV AIDS nonprofit that only serviced individuals that were positive. And so then she couldn't see me for my hormone therapies because I didn't meet the, the, the you know, I couldn't go as a negative individual to that, in, that, to that particular location. And for years I had no doctor that would touch me. Like I'm going to a doctor on a regular basis, but I have not had a real physical since that woman stopped dealing with me because there's such a limited amount of doctors that will give you the moans like you need. And this is supposed to be an LGBT friendly doctor's office, but the, the actual the nurses and LPNs and the, and the actual medical staff that comes into the room, no one has in years touched me. And that feels so bad. 
And I'm, I just, I'm just so grateful that my doctor now is back in her own private practice and she can take all different kinds of all clients and there's no barriers to that. And she's a private practitioner, private practitioner now, because that is something that I really just want to put into the space. Like even the girls you think are getting the medical care that is so fierce and sickening are often in situations where they're caught between a rock and a hard place and doing the best that we can. And I don't even get callbacks about my results when I do my blood work for my hormones. I have to call them. And then even when I do, it's very much, um, everything looks normal. Okay. No one is actually talking to me about my progress in my hormone therapy. Now, I'm getting the medical medicines that I need. They give me whatever I want. Anything I ask for, they'll give me. But I have to ask, and no one is going to touch my body. And that's something that a lot of girls in the South are dealing with, because I deal with supposedly uh, a LGBT-friendly doctor. But keeping it real there is still shade behind the scenes that needs to be addressed that could easily be addressed if, if these doctors wanted to be educated, wanted to actually get cultural competency on why it is not okay that you don't even come and check my motherfucking pulse damn near. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and then I just wanted to just like put that back into the space too. It's not always that there's an aggressive act because a lot of times people think that we are a sensitive community that's always triggered. It's not necessarily an aggressive act. Even though sometimes it is. And sometimes it is. Because sometimes it's not doctors always. have gotten physical, physically assaulted trans people on the oh, table. Oh, yes, there's doctors, medical doctors <laughs> have sexually assaulted trans people. Right. So, no, 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 it does happen. But I'm but. saying sometimes it's not even an aggressive act. It's a series of microaggressions over years that make you loathe going to the doctor because you know that these people are seeing you as a thing an it an aberration or even a medical a mental disorder uh they they, you know because of the way at one point even the way we were seen as trans identified individuals it was categorized as a mental disorder it's no longer but that residue still exists in the minds of a lot of medical medical professionals we are not even a decade since that's not the case, since that was the case. So you got to think, some of these people have been doctors for 10, 15, 20 years, and they were once looking at us as individuals with a identity disorder. And think about how that affects their psyche and the way they see us and the way they treat us and the way they react to us. Because sometimes it's not the doctor, it's the lady at the front desk that's giving you fever. Sometimes it's not the, the, the lady at the front desk. It's the per, it's this, it's, it's some, I'm not going to say the name of the hospital, but there is a man that is known to, he's a, he does, he's a phlebotomist that works at one of the very popular LGBT places to go get services. And all the girls know who I'm talking about. It's a black man that goes there, that works there. And he is known for sticking you and hurting you on purpose with the needles. Girl, where you having to get stuck four, five, and six times on purpose, bitch on purpose and he's smirking as you're hurting and it's because he doesn't live for the girls and the girls know not to go to him and to the point where they they will honor your request not to go to him not fire him they'll just be like oh well you don't want to go to him okay i understand we'll let what's her name do but why is he still here if y'all know that all the community is requesting not to get stuck by him because he's on purpose hurting us like that's all of these things still exist in 2020. 
And that's well, why we do this podcast. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to my the doc, my doctors, um, who I had. Shout out to um, Jill Crank, who was at Chase Brookstone in Baltimore. I think she's at um, Johns Hopkins. Like, um, just amazing. Like, I have been touched. I have been like a real doctor that like really gets into your life. Um, and shout out to Dr. Maya Green of Howard Brown in Chicago, a black um, cis queer woman. Um, who instantly, when I first became her, um, <laughs> when I first became her client, um, and she and um, she um, actually like inspected my body, like top and bottom, and um, she she when she looked at my chest, she was like, um, you, "They said you, they said that you were new and needed hormones, but she was like looking at your chest, you don't need." Um, you don't look like you don't need no hormones. She was like that. <laughs> Come on, Kitty. Right. She was like, oh, God, do it. No, but like I've been lucky to have. But I also purposely went to a place that had like an LGBT affirming healthcare center, um, uh-huh. and I'm lucky to have doctors, women, particularly queer women, who like are up close and personal, and were like, bitch. I'm not about to prescribe you any more hormones because you lose weight because I'm not going to put you on hormones because you can develop pre-diabetes, which will turn into diabetes because of the effects that um, estrogen has on your body and how it makes you gain weight. So, like, I have doctors that I've been fortunate to, once I finally got into the medical system, um, healthcare system. I'm fortunate to have doctors that when they were testing my blood for my estrogen levels, that they actually did it. Yeah. And that we could circle back and be like, well, this is how high your testosterone is. This is how high your estrogen is. This is the, like, this is the level that we want to get it to. I'm going to check your, I'm going to do uh, do a testicle check and, t- and a prostate check. I'm going to check all of that. I'm also going to check your breasts to see if you have any lumps for breast cancer. I'm also going to recommend that you go here for this mammogram. And we already pre-tested the place. It's a firm, like that type of intensive care. So I definitely want to um, shout them out and those particular doctors and their doctors that are intertwined in community because I've seen them at Prize, I've seen them at Trends. Like they really care about their patients. So now I do want to shout out really fast my rest in peace, Doctor Richard Hudson. Doctor Hudson was a, was a doctor here that was my, was the doctor that I had for years. He was the medical director for one of the first. Um, trans programs here in Georgia. He was a he was a, he was a gay man that do, that fell in love. He he always said he fell in love with our community because he was a gay man, and this was during the um the eighties when everybody was um you know people were, were were really dying very rapidly from HIV, and he talked about how the trans the trans girls were the hardest fighters. He said, and they were the they had the most beautiful spirits, and he was like something clicked in his mind and he would went and did all the research he could because in a lot of, he was one of the few new doctors. He was newly a doctor and he was one of the few doctors that would, would be as a gay man, he was cool with actually dealing with trans individuals in New York. And he eventually moved down here to Atlanta and he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And he passed away and 
um, one of the one of the women that used to work under him was the doctor that I told you that was my great doctor that now has her practice back. And I'm so excited to go to her September 23rd. Praise the Lord. <laughs> because um, Hermione Bell, I want to give her a shout out as well. Um, she, Dr. Hermione Bell, she is a wonderful, wonderful human being that I actually gave, we fell in love with each other because um, I gave a cultural competency training and she hit me up afterwards. And then we've been friends for years. She came to my wedding. So when I couldn't go to see my doctor anymore, I would, I have been miserable since she couldn't see me. And now that she's got her own practice, thank God for her. So for, if you're in Atlanta and you want information about a good doctor, I know a lady that is amazing. And she's a healer. And like Brianna said, she used to go through the results with me. We would have, she would let me know when, we, when it was time for me to get all different types of exams. She, she recommended me for mammograms. So I shout out to her and I'm just so grateful for that. Those doctors, cause we do want to give shout outs to the doctors that are doing it right, honey. Cause there's so many motherfuckers that I, and I just got the idea for another conversation. We probably won't have it now because I know we are over the hour mark. But um, just be mindful for, you know, everybody that's going to get elective surgery. I know I plan on getting it. Trans is the hot thing right now. And so you have a lot of doctors, particularly surgeons, that are trying to do these trans surgeries that really are not educated on trans people or trans bodies and they're just doing it for the money and so and there's no care so you have a lot of people that and especially the people who are um using like medicare to get it done you have a Girl, lot of doctors just medicaid, medicaid pities right. but it's a lot of people doctors that are just opting in and they don't really know what they're doing and a lot of and they girls, don't care about sparring they're not right. trying to like make sure that things are proportioned they're not studying to try to, to to like for the body to make sure that things are proportional i have seen some really 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 horror stories with doctors that are just like like you say because it's now uh, it's they now can get a, a check for doing it right they're willing to do the surgery but they don't know nothing and that's right. also the yeah, so that's why I was like, well, this could be a separate conversation. Um, I've seen some tragic face films, bitch. Ooh. Or like um, doctors that are trying to do fucking vaginoplasties that have no idea or have done nothing to study on vaginoplasties. Mutilating the kids. Right. And, getting, and gagging the girls because it like because it's no longer about providing the best level of care for this community. It's like, well, now we can finally make money off of it. So like, let's just do as many as we can, not really care about what is given and moving on to the next. So it's just like on one extreme end, we're either being horribly mistreated and like pushed out. But then when it finally becomes the wave, it's just like doctors and these insurance companies trying to cash in. And, and experiment as they go. Right, right. Because if you if you haven't actually gone yourself to get additional certifications and all that in the third, how are you all of a sudden doing vaginoplasties and you weren't doing them five years ago? Right. Like, and I know for me, it's important to go to a doctor that has an experience. And now it's no shade. I want to go to the trans doctor that's doing it. Because it, because yeah. no, no, I just want somebody that kind of has gone through that experience or has that intimate connection. And yes, and I think that's important too. There are a lot of new, there are a lot of trans folks that are becoming medical professionals. And I also encourage you to go online and look for them as well. I know that there are 
LGBT health groups online, on Facebook, their actual medical provider Facebook groups where they will accept people who are wanting to find a group where they can find a doctor in their area. Um, and so just do it, it, it's easy, you know, to, it, it's easier than ever to find an, a trans doctor even now. So because a lot of them old white male doctors have transitioned later in life. Gag on that. So when I get my body done, it's a particular doctor, trans doctor that I want to go. Not because I think she knows about the shape, but she's done enough about trans bodies, particularly trans bodies, particularly black trans girls' bodies, that I feel comfortable enough taking that risk. Well, definitely also pass her number to me, sis. Right. (laughs) Just in case I need a tune up, because it's not because girl, that sounds like a good doctor. You said black trans girls' bodies, okay? Yeah, like it's black trans girls. I'm sorry. I thought about going to like um, Dominican Republic and Colombia, but I'm such a far looking girl. I'm always looking for the lawsuit. Like it'll be easier for me (laughs) if shit goes wrong. I can sue you if you state based, but if you in DR or Colombia, South America, it's gonna be a little harder. As a lawyer, you're like, I'm looking towards the lawsuit. Right. It doesn't come out how I want it. I want to be able to get you. Right. And, and I, I just think you have to be realistic that it may not come out how you want it. And it could be because of negligence. And if that is the case, you need to be able to get repercussions. And that is something to consider when you do these overseas surgeries. Right. And even if I say that, I'm going to have a little procedure here some at some point overseas, and I plan on going overseas, and I'm okay with it. But I, but this is I'm glad we're bringing this into the equation because now that's something I'm thinking about too. I mean, even though I'm still going to do it, um, I have to really, you know, hope that this is going to be what I wanted to be. Otherwise, girl, it's 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 a redo here with no, you know, um, recouping on my end for the money I spent the first time. Yeah, so so be it. But I, like I said, I think that's a um, different. Um, I feel like that that deserves a separate conversation, only because that conversation is like more elective surgeries. Yes, and I would love to in that conversation get into like what you what you should actually be saying because I know for me I've had a few things, and so <laughs> I would love to be able to like share my experience as far as like ways that you have to advocate for yourself in that process. Mm-hmm. Because we have different bodies than natal women. And even if they are... Right. Girl, that's why I said we got to destroy this binary so we can create rooms for our particular body. Our particular, like, because even getting breasts, I know when I was going to get my breasts, it was going to look a little different or it was going to require slightly different because I didn't have what a female's body has. And right. I, girl, I think people need to know that and be realistic about that going in and like you can't stealth your way bitch to uh a doctor that has been doing titties for years bitch they're going to know they're going to count the ribs like Like these people are they they are medical professionals (laughs) like they're gonna know. <laughs> right, they're gonna know that your tea, and it's it's okay. You need them to know you. You don't want to go in all insecure because then that's how they can work you. Because they can already see, oh, like I can play a game with her. No, you need to go in. This is what it is. 
this is the extra that you're going to have to do for me because I'm not a female or I'm not a cis woman. So we're going to have to walk this path. But this is the result I'm respecting in the end. What What are we going to do? <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. I, you know, I'm glad we had this conversation, sis. I thought it would actually, so my, just being transparent at the end, I thought this was going to be boring, but girl, I feel like it's, it, I think it's a, it's a subject that I feel like is so, like, it, it touches on so many levels of our experience and all the intersections with all the different personnel and people that I feel like this was a very interesting conversation and I'm excited to listen back because I think we, we really, really were able to touch on it from so many different points of view. Yes. So sure. I, think, I think we've done an episode, so we're going to end yeah. it here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Don't forget to go to our Anchor page to become a monthly sponsor. And also feel free to like, follow, and subscribe to us on all of our social media platforms. And also, please don't forget to rate and review our podcast, Every Comment Matters. And lastly, please, 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 Follow and tune in for our live interactive Facebook show every Friday on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, I'm the Lioness. And I'm Aeon. Bye.